The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Hello and welcome to Table Talk, the Spectator's food and drink podcast. I'm Lara Prendergast. And I'm Olivia Potts. And today we're delighted to be joined by Dee Ritali. Dee is an artisan baker who has been at the forefront of the organic food movement, having founded Patisserie Organic in 1998. She grew up in rural Ireland and is known for her belief in preserving traditional crafts. Her new book, Baking with Fortitude, Sourdough Cakes and Bakes, is available now. Dee, welcome to Table Talk. We're going to start where we always do, at the very beginning, and ask you, what are your earliest memories of food? Um, my earliest memories of food would probably be connected to baking, because my grandmother baked. So we would make bread every day, but we made Irish soda breads. I can remember the curdling of the milk, and she used to put the milk on the windowsill in the hot weather which was obviously incredibly dangerous but we we all survived and that was that's probably my earliest memory of food and what were meal times like in your family very important we all sat down i'm one of eight children and we were fed wonderfully and my parents both of them were really good cooks but were really interested in the provenance of the food so we would sit and discuss what we were eating probably every day. So we went to school, obviously, and in the middle of the day, we would be allowed out for lunch. So the meal, meals were kind of very important for everybody to sit down and have a conversation or just to be together as a family. And what sorts of dishes were your parents cooking to feed all eight of you? We would do things like rear our own beef. And my grandfather had a small farm with what he used to rear pigs. So we had that as the base of our sort of evening meal would be meat of some kind fish on a Friday because we were it was a very Catholic country then and always potatoes so my father would never believe that you had dinner unless you had potatoes with it which is you know stereotypical but it was it was our reality and they were expert potato people and some kind of vegetable which was always organic they just either grew their own or it was from somebody local that would grow and my mother would buy from them in bulk so very simple food, but very good food. I mean, I was brought up in Ireland in the 70s, and what we did was always based around something. My sister was very good at making things. She would knit. I was always the cook. That goes back to very early on, maybe seven or eight, and things like if you were bored, you baked. That was my go-to thing. And it was something I got to be quite good at. So we kind of, you know, as a kid, you always went to your, you'd always go to your, your happy place, which it's always been for me. We, we normally ask people about school food, but were you coming home for every meal? I mean, or did you have school food? No, we didn't do school food. We would come home in my primary school years. Uh, we would come home in the middle of the day. We always had things like corned beef and tomato in the summertime or tinned fish, which was a really popular way of eating fish in Ireland. It, we're kind of in more away from the coast, so we would get tinned fish with bread, soda bread. But we would always come home every day at half past 12 for literally 35 minutes and then run back up to, up the hill to school. And when you arrived here, what, what were your first sort of 
culinary jobs that you were doing? I was just 18. I caught a plane to London and I never went back. (laughs) When I first arrived, I did lots of odd jobs. My first serious job was uh, had nothing to do with food because my parents, in particular my mother, who had been a cook herself in, in a kind of established home for some years, she didn't want me to do anything to do with food because it was difficult for women to actually progress in kitchens. And I, th- I think she just thought the environment of it wasn't what she wanted for us as her daughters. So it was always something you did as a pastime rather than as a profession. So I actually started a degree in cartography at South Bank University because I was an intern at Edward Stanford Map Makers on Longacre. And I went from doing that to being their buyer for European survey sheets. And I did that for almost four years. And then the food thing kept coming back. So I thought I'm either going to bite the bullet and do it or I'm going to carry on with cartography. And I'd been offered a job in Switzerland as a a buyer for another mapping company, and I just turned it down, and I left Edward Stanford. I mean, it it seemed quite crazy at the time because it was such a well-established career. And I went to work for Justin DeBlanc, which was the biggest shock to my life I think I've ever had, and that was at the Barbican Centre. There was two restaurants there at the time, and I started in the lowest form of low (laughs) in the kitchen. I was peeling potatoes um, and onions, I think, for about a month. But they were actually, what they were trying to do was to break you. You either, 50% of us just left. And I wanted to leave, but they wouldn't allow me to leave. They were like, we're going to just keep going. And that was why I stayed with them. And that's, that was my first job. Was there an opportunity for baking or were you doing the cuisine side of restaurant food? Well, I did three years with them and you had to learn everything. So with Justin DeBlanc, he specialised in organic food, but he also specialised in nutrition and I think food that was very colourful and interesting. So you had to know, you had to have all the bases covered. And then they asked me one day if I wanted to learn patisserie because he was actually encouraging women in kitchens. And as we all know, if you're a head chef, you need to know every discipline. Uh, And I was kind of like, this is a bit predictable. Is it because I'm a girl? And, you know, there was a bit of that going on in my head. But then I thought, why not? It's something I would probably be quite good at. And I was put in the patisserie section. And then I, I just continued with that. I've always cooked as well, but I did learn a lot from them when it came to baking. You've also spent time in various European countries. What what have you learned kind of about baking that differs to what you had perhaps learned in Ireland or in I London? I've always been really interested in French patisserie and I love the nineteen seventies French patisserie. It's not like patisserie nowadays. Uh, and the Austrian Italian less so, but the the Austrian side of patisserie I loved because I thought it was so old school. And what I'd learned from that was that I was actually quite old school, I still am, in tradition. I want to be traditional in my method. And I, you know, I'm doing something very new now, but it's actually got a basis of very strong tradition. And the way they use their ingredients, but actually what I loved was they used their hands. So where we were getting to a point in the probably early 90s in the UK, it was all about intervention. So it was like machine intervention, be the biggest commercial baker that you can. I didn't want to do that. I just thought, well, we have all of this in our hands. 
why not use it? I mean, in France in particular, they were still doing that. It was a very basic patisseries. They were open, you know, they were wood-fired ovens. It was, there was nothing modern about it. And I absolutely loved it. It was just, um, I think it was the basis for me of learning, of wanting to always be traditional in what I did. And you're particularly known for the fermentation that you use in uh, your baking in a way that uh, few bakers do, particularly in sort of sweet baking and cakes. Can you tell us a bit about that and about where it came from for you? I think where it started really was I was working with a baker called Sid Aston who used to own Celtic Bakers. And he was, I suppose he was a kind of mentor to me when I first set up Patisserie Organic. Um, I was 27 and I was very naive and had yet to kind of define exactly what I was doing. And he had said to me at the time, you need a a point of difference because you want to be different. If you use organic ingredients and biodynamic ingredients, you have to use them to their fullest. So I was thinking, how do you get to that point rather than just putting something in a bowl, mixing it, putting it in the oven? And what I learned very early on was that flowers benefit hugely by sitting in something, in liquid, and so does sugar, so does fruit, and spices so when people eat my cake they immediately go this tastes like home or this tastes like something I had as a child and they can actually what I think I learned very early on was that you could digest the cake more easily so I had probably in my with my first business I learned that that was something that learning to ferment things I mean it was a process it took many years it wasn't something that I just I in the book I write about it and it's much simpler, and, I, and I've defined it, I think, for people to be able to use it. But it's something that is more beneficial to you, because eating in a way that you're not throwing things away, you're, not, you're using up fruit that, that benefits from being in a ferment. I think all those things we were learning about in the early 90s, when now it's become slightly faddish, but then we were sort of, there, there were people who were really trying to make that work. And what are your favourite things to bake? I love making loaf cakes. We call them blocks. So we use, like, uh, some of our bases are, like, liquid form cakes. And when people put them together, they, you know, in the book, it talks a lot about the liquidity of things, where they go, this is so, it's like water, but it actually becomes cake. It's like a science experiment. Mm. That Those sort of things I love to make. But we make lots of things, like fermented doughs, and it's there's always an experiment going on but I do love our morning bun which is like a dumpling and you have to fill it and then flip it over which most people think is like a acrobatic event but it's actually a really interesting way of baking so I kind of do things from the outside in instead of inside because a lot of bakers do things in a very particular way and it's much easier to handle whereas I think well nothing should be that easy and people have to learn how to do it and take time and and have patience with it. Uh, and tell us about the organic side of your baking, because that still that played a big role in the first bakery you opened, but it's still present now, is that right? It is. I use a lot of organic ingredients. I don't shout about it much, as and I don't shout about really anything that I do. Uh, so, it's, you know, it's just... For me, organic ingredients, have they've always been really important in that generally they come from a better place. So we, when you use organic ingredients, you try and use somebody that's local or that you know the dairy that that products come from directly. And so I use a lot of that still. I mean, the initial business, I worked at Bumblebee Whole Foods, which is based in North London, as their head baker. 
and they were completely organic and biodynamic. And from there, I went on to work alongside Planet Organic, Whole Foods, uh, Harvey Nichols. Actually, I did a bespoke section for them with organic food. It's just really important. I think we need to know where products come from. And at least with organic food, even if people don't necessarily see the benefit of, of, what, of how the food's produced, you do have a direct line to the provenance of it. And also, it has to be sustainable. And that's a very important part of what I do. We're obviously recording this at the end of a sort of slightly extraordinary, slightly, a very extraordinary 18 months. How has your approach to baking and, and the bakery as well changed in the in the past year? It's changed in that I think we, we did lose 50% of our business in terms of wholesale, which was a shock. But by the time that it happened, I was actually very tired because I'd spent two years of building this thing up. So you could either think, you can sink or swim in a situation like that. So I thought, this is my third bakery. It's a big project. I've now lost 50% of it. I didn't, I felt like the retail would come round at some point because the people still have to eat, even if there's a pandemic. So it was a shock and it was a disappointment. But then I think I was so tired, I didn't have the strength or the energy to be too disappointed with it. Instead, I slept for about a week, and then I thought, I have to write this book at some point, which was, you know, big big part of the Fortitude project. But it was also learning that we needed to change our staffing, we needed to change our opening hours, we needed to look at maybe getting a bigger site, cooking more, being more of a cafe space, and connecting to people. I think that was the thing. You can get lost in, in what you're doing every day as a business without actually then reaching out because you're too tired to reach out. So I had more time to do the things that I, I wanted to do and still kind of continuing to keep the business open. But our retail became really strong during lockdown. And funnily enough, what we found is so many people now know about us because we have never really PR'd ourselves. We did a little bit at the beginning, but it wasn't that effective. We didn't feel. And... Although my partner was a very well-known cafe owner, he owned a business called Fernandez and Wells, and we were both well-known in our own field, but then together we had this new project that was hidden down a muse behind Russell Square. We now have people coming to us from everywhere. The whole COVID situation certainly helped us to become well-known and put food on the table, I think. I think just the first couple of weeks of um, the reopening, we took six weeks out and then a couple of weeks into that, after that, we ha- we were thinking, well, what, what can we do to create more business? And then just through an acquaintance, somebody had introduced me to a lady that was very involved in Rafa. And she'd said, why don't I just put the word out there and, and get these cyclists in? And we now get hundreds of cyclists every week that bring their fantastic bikes and their fantastic outfits into Fortitude to, for buns and coffee every morning from 20 past seven until 20 past eight. We do sometimes over 250 coffees in in 40 minutes yeah it's crazy and we just have this treadmill of like we just keep going and they have they have sustained us 100 and we're incredibly grateful and as a result of that we, I, i'm not sure i think it would have probably have happened slowly but because they had time to cycle because everybody was furloughed they would come to us every day they would do their couple of hours training and then they would come to us after much sometimes it was like a rave so I would sort of be like thinking oh my god we're going to get shut down because there there were just people everywhere but they loved it and we loved it and tell us about 
at home? How do you cook and eat when you're cooking for yourself rather than for other people? I have a beautiful Le Creuset pot called Margot, which was a, a gift. And Margot gets used about four times a week. And I do things very simple, chicken with leek. And I'm, I love broths and soups. So I'll do chicken with leek and carrot. And I can have it for two days and shred the meat. We do things like coquelin. It sounds crazy for it. We'll do anglais. Yesterday there was anglais mushroom and roast onions. Pasta dishes. Roast chicken is my, my my kids love roast chicken. I mean they're grown up now, so it's you know, but they're still they still come home for the food. So that's how we cook. I love French, simple French food, and it's how I was trained, so it kind of stayed with me. But then I will also love. Um, I was in Ireland recently, and my mother made bacon, cabbage, and potatoes, which was a classic Irish dish, and I will crave that. So I'll try and find some substitute for that in when I'm in London. So very simple food. But my partner is has Spanish heritage and he cooks Spanish food. So we will have ribs with broad beans and various concoctions. It depends on the day. But it's always based from our Le Creuset pot. Sounds great. It sounds very good use of the Le Creuset. And Dee, tell us about the book. Is it is it the sort of book that a novice baker or somebody who's never really baked can pick up and start to use or do you need to have a bit of expertise? I think the way I've written it and I had a co-author in it, Mona Royale, who who's a, an amazing editor who's worked for various publishing houses and she helped me to kind of make it simple. So what I wanted was that the, the pictures were crafty and it kind of gave an impression of who we were but also the baking, I've always spent my life teaching people uh, of all backgrounds and, you know, we've gone from worked with the Refugee Council, people who don't speak any English. I still employ people who don't speak English because I think they deserve a break. So things have to be simple to start with. And these are some of the most talented people I've ever worked with. You know, after six months, they could practically run the place. So the book is simple in parts. The other bit is for bakers who are really interested in baking and they want something new. So it's for two sets of people. So the first bit is definitely about sourdough and fermenting. But anyone can do that because the instructions are really clear, really concise. And I don't also believe in getting ingredients in when you wouldn't necessarily have them in your cupboard anyway. I don't want you to go out and spend hundreds of pounds on crazy ingredients. That's the basis of how I bake. And the methodology is simple. With the book, it was also about people learning how to use their hands again. And I'm a great believer in getting your hands in. You don't need a spoon. You don't need a spoon for it. Just get your hand in the bowl, feel the ingredients. And there's a lot of learning about textures. And you have to learn that anyway, if you, if you wanted to pick up a baking book. There isn't enough teaching with, these, with a lot of baking books. It's like, this is, you buy this, you put it in a bowl, you mix it, put it in a tin. Well, it's also, it gives people great joy. It's very good for mental health. It's very good for motivating, motivating you to learn something new. And that's what the book is about. But I believe anyone can use it. Do you have any recipes from the book that are, are particularly close to your heart? I don't want to say favourites, because I can't ask you to pick a favourite recipe. Any that are particularly meaningful to you? I do a banana bread in there, which I took two years to develop. And now it's developed, anyone can make it. And I do give the recipe out to people occasionally. I love that one, but it was really the basis of a lot of the products that I make now. And I love our brioche recipe, which is 
I believe, fantastic. It's a really simple, full of butter, full of egg yolk, and you can make lots of different things with it. So it's not just about just a brioche bread. You, we make beignet donut-style cakes every day with it. So those two, I think, are my standout. And Dee, just to round off, we normally finish this podcast with a question about your desert island meal. What would be your desert island meal? I have spent and still spend and will spend many years of my life in Marrakesh and anything with orange flower water. Because I've thought lots about this. I love tortilla and croquettes and I love cocovin and I love chicken tagine. But actually, it's a biscuit. They're called goriba de luz, which means biscuit made of almond. And they're dipped in orange flower water. And you smell them and it just transports you to somewhere. And I think that's my favourite thing in the world with a cup of tea. Dee, thank you very much for joining Table Talk. And Dee's new book... Baking with Fortitude, Sourdough Cakes and Bakes is available now. Thank you for listening. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, please do subscribe. And if you've really enjoyed it, please do leave us a star rating and review. It really helps us out.